Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are in week six of this freeway series, and the subtitle of it is A Not-So-Perfect Guide to Freedom. And that's kind of what the series is really all about. It's getting past and, and out of those places where you're kind of stuck and don't seem to be able to make any progress, or, or maybe it's getting past your past, um, or, or dealing with, with a, 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 one of those besetting sins that you just can't seem to get through. And so for this whole series, that's what we've been talking about, that, that dealing with all that stuff in the context of God's grace, that God's grace is incredibly powerful and life-changing. And so over the last couple of weeks, um, that's what we've been talking about. Now, if this is your first weekend with us and you've missed the other ones, I really encourage you to go back, listen to the podcast, watch the video cast on our website, because you really want to get the whole sense of, of where this is going, where we've been. And I'll give you a kind of brief recap. Uh, we started in week one with awareness. Um, awareness is all about discovering those places in our lives that we're really stuck. Just taking, slowing down life, realizing this is something I'm just not getting past. And then the second step in that is discovery, where I really stop and I take a good hard look at why is this such an issue for me? Why can't I get over this? Why is this a sticking point for me? What's the motive? What's, what's dragging me back? And holding me back in all of that. And then through that, we start doing the real hard work of, of taking responsibility for that. And that's when we talked about ownership. That owning up to the stuff that I have brought on myself. And the key to that is confession. That when we're willing to own up to it and confess those things, then God comes in his grace and he forgives. And then last week we talked about this idea. There's some stuff in our lives that we didn't bring on ourselves. It's what other people did to us. Hurts that we don't deserve. And how do you deal with that? And that's the issue of forgiveness. Being able to let go and leaving it in God's hands and letting him do that work. And so that's been the progress that we've been talking about. Today we're talking about acceptance. And acceptance is all about um, embracing my identity now in Christ. And acceptance is not the same thing as resignation. Okay? In resignation, I give up. I just kind of lower my expectations. I give up on my hopes and my dreams. And I just decide, okay, this is the way it's going to be. I'm never going to change. Things are never going to change. So I just resign myself to it. Okay? That's not acceptance. Acceptance is something very different. Acceptance is proactive. It's embracing this identity that, that who I am and trusting and believing that God is at work in me. And that God is at work through my circumstances, shaping me and molding me. And that's what acceptance is all about. So we're going to look at that today. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that you may not be all that familiar with. Now, I grew up in church. Okay, My, my parents brought me to church before I knew what church was all about. And I went through the whole Sunday school from what they called cradle roll, which is a fancy name for nursery, um, all the way through all the grade school. I learned all those Bible stories, you know, uh, Noah and the flood and the ark and Moses and the burning bush and uh, Daniel and the lion's den and, and the plagues of Egypt and letting uh, the nation of Israel go from Egypt and their slavery and all of those stories. And um, uh, Moses, uh, when he came down from the mountain and how his face glowed, anybody remember that story? You know, a little bit? Okay, a few of you remember that story. Um, the story is that when, after Moses had been in the presence of God, when he came back to the camp, that, that having been in the presence of God, his face was so radiant, just, just glowing radiant with the glory of being in God's presence that actually the people could not look at his face directly. That it was just, it was too bright, it was just too overwhelming. So he actually put a veil, kind of a, a little bit of a, you know, 
obscuring the, the, uh, of it so that they could look at him directly. And, and that's one of the Bible stories that we learned growing up. Now, what we're going to look at today is a passage actually in Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. And he's going to give us a little bit behind the scenes peek at what was going on in that situation. So um, we're going to be covering a lot of territory today. In fact, we're going to actually be covering two whole chapters. And we're going to breeze through it. We're going to go very, very quickly. So I'm going to need you to stay with me, okay? I'm going to need you to stay with me, okay? Okay. I wonder about you people sometimes. Okay. Hang with me here, because we're going to cover a lot of material. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to do a little skipping around. So um, you might want to find that. Um, bring out your Bibles, your smartphones, iPads, whatever you got. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 7. So this is what Paul writes. He's writing about the comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant that came with Moses and the law, and the New Covenant that we now have in Christ. Okay, that's the context of what he's saying. And this is what he writes in verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So what he's saying is, okay, you remember the story of Moses and the the giving of the law and the glory on his face and that radiance and that veil thing, okay? You remember that story? He says, if that old covenant, if the law came with such power and such glory, how much more now the new covenant that we have in Christ? Okay, you with me so far? Okay, all right. So um, skip on down, verse 13. Now now notice, by the way, he said that, that glory was transitory. It was never intended to last. So verse 13, he goes on, he says, so now we are not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. See, that's the part we didn't learn in Sunday school. That, that, that Moses put that veil on in the first place to protect um, the people from being able, and allow them to be able to look at him steadily. But he's, what, what Paul's saying here is that what happened was that glory was never meant to last. And it slowly faded away. But Moses, afraid now that the people aren't going to follow him because that glory, that was the, that was the proof that he had been in God's presence. And that, that's why people were following him. And if I, if I lose that, they're not going to follow me anymore. So what he did was he kept that veil on over his face long after that glory had faded away. He was propping up an image. Okay? So that's what Paul is telling us here. So he goes on, um, verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's our word. That's what we're talking about in this series, freedom. The Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart what he's saying there is now there's a new covenant things are different now the old covenant was all about rules and regulations and trying to live up and trying to trying to to um change myself by adherence to laws and regulations trying to change myself from the outside in essence and what he's saying is now something different has happened in christ now god is in us and that transforming happens from the inside out Not imposed from the outside by obeying laws, but now from the inside out. And that glory is different than the glory of the giving of the law. 
And we don't lose heart now. We don't, we don't resign ourselves to we're just never going to change. We're always going to be the same way. Now something has changed. There's a new path. There's a new path to freedom. So that's what we're going to pick up. Verse 7, chapter 4. This is the pathway of freedom. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life might be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart, says it again. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What he's saying is in this new covenant, God has done something very, very different. There is a new freedom available to us. There is a new way of living, a new way of changing, not by imposing rules and regulations from the outside, but by a transformation that happens from the inside out. And instead of covering things up, it's about transparency. And so this path to freedom we're going to talk about today starts with this. It starts with being honest about your limitations. That's the very first thing he says. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What he's saying is that the treasure, this life of Christ that we have, is in jars of clay. That's our mortal bodies. That's our everyday life. And the reason this is in there is, is to show that we're just, we're just ordinary vessels. We're just ordinary clay pots. There's nothing special about us. What he's in essence saying is there's nobody perfect. There is nobody perfect. None of us have it all together. When we talk around here about this idea that we are all people in process, what we're saying is exactly what Paul says here. That nobody's got it all together. Nobody's got it all figured out. Nobody here is perfect. We're all just everyday ordinary people. And we need to recognize that. We need to acknowledge that. In fact, he uses a very specific word. He talks about jars of clay. And, and, and you got to understand, there are a lot of different materials to make vessels. Even in ancient times, there would be bronze vessels. There would be silver vessels, things that were for special occasions. And then there were everyday crockery, everyday clay pots. And that was the kind of stuff that everybody, they were kind of handmade. They were homemade. They were just everyday kind of stuff. Now, even to this day, when archaeologists go through archaeological digs, the most common thing that they find are pot shards. Because it was very common. It was just everyday kind of stuff. And if it got broken, if it got chipped, that's, oh, well, I'll just make another one. And it's kind of the difference between your everyday dishes and the china that you bring out for, for, for company. Okay? What he's saying is, we're not the fine china, folks. We're just the old chipped plates. But there's a reason for that. And we need to recognize that, that that is the truth about us. Um, that, that God, in fact, we've seen this. Last year, we spent the whole year going all the way through the Bible and the story. And what we found over and over again is God always used flawed people, imperfect people, everyday, ordinary people. Father Abraham was flawed. 
Moses, great lawgiver, was flawed. King David, greatest king of Israel, was flawed. That God has always used imperfect, flawed people like you and like me. If you think about it, look at the disciples that Jesus called himself. They were not the religious elite. They were not the schooled. They were everyday fishermen. In fact, some of them were outcast tax collectors. Those were the kinds of people that God used. The kinds of people Jesus called. The kinds of people like you and like me. And that's what he's saying. That, and in fact, even on Palm Sunday, who was it that was leading? We, we celebrate that today. Who was leading the parade? It wasn't the religious elite. It wasn't the learned and scholarly. It was the everyday people with their palm branches, just things they cut down off the tree so they could wave. It's always been that way. And so the most important thing in finding that freedom and, 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 and acceptance is just to be able to admit, I've got some limitations. And we all have them, by the way. We all have our own flaws. We all have our own weaknesses. We all have our shortcomings and our struggles. And by the way, if you're here today and you can't think of any, just ask somebody who is close to you. They will probably be able to provide you a nice long list, okay? Because we've all got them. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. And the problem is what we tend to do is hide our imperfections. We tend to want to hide those struggles and those weaknesses and our limitations. We, we cover them up. And you know why we do that? Because in the back of our mind, most of us have this sense that if you knew the real me, you probably wouldn't like me. If you knew the real me, I probably wouldn't be accepted. If you knew the real me, you probably wouldn't let me belong. And so what we do is we cover it up like Moses. I had a number of years ago now, I was going to a pastor's conference, and I, I had booked my tickets, and, uh, and come to find out, I didn't know this, but uh, the airline that I booked my tickets on, it was back in Chicago, and um, the, the airline that I booked my tickets on, come to find out, a friend of mine actually worked for that airline. He was a ticket agent for that airline, and unbeknownst to me, he had gone in, and he had changed my reservation, and he would given me a first-class upgrade. Yeah, it is not like flying coach at all. I can't pay for it myself, but it was a nice, I got there, and, and they said, oh, Mr. Jensen, they, they called me by name, you know, Mr. Jensen, you're first class, you know, and I got this ticket, and, and, I, and I, I, I didn't know why, I, it was just, just kind of, and I got into the seat, and they brought me something to drink, and they brought me a pillow, and I got nice slippers, and all this kind of stuff, it's really cool, but in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, sooner or later, somebody's going to figure out, I don't belong here. <laughs> I, honestly, I had this feeling that as soon, at, at some point in that flight, the, 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 the stewardess was going to come and tap me on the shoulder and say, oh, you don't belong here. And then I'm going to have to make a long walk of shame all the way down the aisle to the back of the plane. That's what I thought was going to happen to me, okay? Most of us feel that way. That if you really knew the me that I know about me, I wouldn't belong here. And so what we do is... We put on these veils just like Moses. And you know what happens when you try to prop up an image? You become a slave to that image. You got to watch your step. You got to be very careful. You got to not let anybody see those imperfections in you. And there is no freedom in that. You end up becoming a hostage to your own image. So there's the first thing is be honest about your limitations. 
And then he goes on and talks about our circumstances. He says, now, the second thing you need to understand is you need to recognize that difficulties are a part of life. He goes on. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. What he's saying is that every life encounters difficulties. Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. And as a pastor, I will tell you when I, what happens very often when people face a crisis or something falls apart in their life or, or something goes wrong and, and life has been going along very nicely and everything's been working out and all of a sudden the crisis hits. One of the biggest questions I get all the time as a pastor is, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Why is God punishing me? And that's often what people feel like. I must have done something to bring this on myself. And what I want you to hear today is, it happens to everybody, good people and bad people alike. And the bottom line is, it's simply this, stuff happens. Because we live in a broken and fallen world. And we all share in that brokenness. You want to think about it this way. Maybe you can think about the bad stuff. There is the one category is my bad, okay? That's the stuff I brought on myself, my bad choices, my sin, my whatever, okay? And we talked about this in the first, uh, the first uh, sec- third step, okay? It's about um, uh, ownership. That when it comes to my bad, I need to take ownership of that. I brought this on myself. And that's the idea of confession that we talked about. And then there's another category of bad that we might call your bad. This is what you did to me. Somebody, somebody else did this to me. And that's what we talked about last week in forgiveness. That the only way to get freedom from the your bad stuff is to forgive. And today when we're talking about acceptance, we're talking about what you might call it's bad. It just is bad. There's no fault. There's no one that brought this on themselves. No one who did this to me. It's just simply the reality of living in a fallen, broken world. And we all experience it. And we need to understand that. Notice what he says, though. He says, we're under pressure. Yeah. Yeah, it gets pressure cooked sometimes. But hard-pressed, but not crushed. Perplexed. Sometimes it's so confusing, I can't figure it out. I don't know what the next step is going to be. I don't know how to handle this. But not in despair. Persecuted. Sometimes stuff comes at me simply because of my faith. But not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, that there's, there's some kind of a resiliency that God is doing in the middle of all that stuff, that, that God is working, and, and there are limitations. Now, sometimes people say things like, well, God will never give us anything we can't handle. That's not in the Bible. There is no chapter and verse for that one, and flat out, it is not true. There is a lot of stuff that comes our way that we cannot handle. The truth is that you will never be placed in a situation that God cannot handle. And that's different. Everyday difficult circumstances. What Paul says is, through every one of them, what I discovered was God was still at work. Which actually goes to the next uh, piece of this. It's trust God to use those experiences for your benefit. Because that's what he does. Again, verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And he repeats it again, so that, in case you didn't get it, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. What he's saying is that in Jesus, those difficulties, those situations, there's a redemptive value to them. That God works even in the most difficult of situations. When, when a, what happens is when a crisis hits, what it does is it kind of shakes our foundations. It knocks us almost to the ground sometimes. And, and, and it just kind of calls into question everything. It really makes us stop and take a look at our lives. And, and Paul describes it as a death and a rebirth or, or dying to, to find a new life. And, and that's kind of the process in all of it. And here's what I have found in my own life, that when I've gone through those kinds of situations, and I've been through a number of them in my life now, um, what I have found is the kind of stuff that needed to die was the stuff that was junking up my life anyway. The stuff that needs to die in those circumstances are the things that are really keeping you from the life of freedom anyway. What I have found is in those circumstances, the stuff that had to die were things like my pride, my self-centeredness, my all-self-sufficiency, my autonomy, my comfort, my rights. See, that's the stuff that junks up your life and mine. That's the stuff that really has to die so that this new life can come shining through. And if we're open to it, God can work redemptively even in the most difficult situations of your life not automatic it really depends on how you respond to it because difficulties can make you bitter or they can make you better i've been through a number of these in my life and i've and i've shared some of them over the years here at northgate and um, one of them was actually really early on in my pastoral ministry it was actually the second ministry position that i had up in the pacific northwest and i was i was a pretty young pastor i was probably you know four or five years out of bible college and i i kind of wide-eyed and just you know i thought oh i'm gonna serve the lord and i'm gonna work in a church and people are gonna pay me to do that what could be better and then i discovered in that second more than anywhere else in that second place that i was at that when you deal when you work in a church you deal with people People can be mean. And church people can be really mean. And I was only there for one year. And it was the most miserable year of my life. And I left that situation totally devastated, totally burned out, angry at God, and washing my hands of pastoral ministry. And in, for, in fact, for the next two and a half years, I went back to work for my dad and just did carpentry. Because people liked what I built when I was a carpenter. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. Had I not gone through that experience and others like that over my lifetime, I know I would not be the person that I am today. I would not be the pastor that I am today. Not that I still don't have some growing to do, okay? But it so fundamentally changed my life and my ministry. That's what God does. He works redemptively. 
in each and every situation. Doesn't happen automatically. I had to let God do his work in me. He had to chip away some of those rough edges. A lot of it had to do with my pride. But that's what God does. He redeems in every circumstance, no matter how difficult. God is in the redemption business. And he doesn't throw you away or toss you off to the side because of your failures or your mistake or your sin. What he does is he redeems you. You're still you. Redeemed. And that's the process that Paul is talking about here. John Ortberg puts it this way. God isn't at work producing the circumstances you want. God is at work in the bad circumstances producing the you he wants. Paul put it this way. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Which leads to the last point here. You keep your focus on the big picture. He goes on in verse 17. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In other words, keep an eternal perspective. Look at the big picture. Because here's what you need to understand. If you are in the middle of one of those kind of circumstances, those kind of situations right now, it might, be, it might be a relationship, it might be a family issue, it might be a financial condition, it might be a health issue. And what I, here's what I want you to hear. Whatever it is that you might be going through in the middle of it, and you're feeling like this is, I can't take any more of this, here's what you need to hear. It is temporary. It will not last forever. And what God is doing in the middle of all of that and what he can do in the middle of your life is begin to change you. And that's what's eternal. What is happening inside of you is worth far more value and is far more important than what's happening outside of you. Because it's what's inside of you that you take into eternity. And that's what God is doing in your life. So he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That God is still in the redemption business. And he is at work in your life. And he specializes, he specializes in bringing dead things to life. And if you don't believe that, look at the cross. Look at the resurrection. That's what we celebrate this time of year, is the fact that Jesus Christ came and took on our brokenness, our hurt, our pain, our struggles, our sin, and paid a price and took them to death. But it didn't stay there. He rose to a new life. And it's that new life, that free life, that he offers to you and to me. That's the power of his grace. It's available but it's up to us whether we're going to get in on it. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.